Hello, good afternoon. We're in John and chapter 4. Uh, we had three sermons on the wonderful story of the woman at the well. We looked at water, worship and witness. Today we're in verse 43. After the, the two days, was the two days he stayed in Samaria, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified, a prophet has no honour in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the, made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he had begun to get better. And they had said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Amen. So we've had um, water, worship and witness. And there are many reasons for going through the Bible like we do, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It helps you understand not just isolated passages, but to understand a book and within its context. It helps keep the preacher honest, the pastor honest. You don't get hobby horses or just whatever I've been thinking throughout the week. No, we should learn week by week how to carefully pay attention to the text. And that's a good reason that, that we do what we do, is that it should help you know how to read your Bible. And if we pay attention, sometimes we come across passages of Scripture and it presents a problem. How can that be? And this isn't an attitude of disbelief. Well, it could be, but not necessarily, because there are a couple of problems in what the text we read. Two verses that don't seem to fit. If you think about it, verse 44 and verse 48. Verse 43, Jesus was in Samaria. They'd asked him to stay. Remember the two days? And then he went to Galilee. So then we get this parenthesis, um, you know, verse 44, it, it would kind of make sense if a, said a prophet receives special honour in his own hometown. That would seem to fit better, wouldn't it, with the flow of 43 to 45. That if a prophet got honour in his hometown. So he went to Galilee in verse 45, it says that they welcomed him. So why the parenthesis in verse 44? where it says that the prophet is without honour in his own hometown because Jesus was from Nazareth. He was from Galilee. So he left Samaria, went to Galilee. He's welcomed, but a prophet is without honour in his own hometown. So it would seem to make sense to take out the parenthesis. So why do we have that word about being without honour? It doesn't quite seem to fit. It might have worked if you said had honour but it kind of doesn't fit in the parenthesis verse 48 Jesus said to him unless you have see signs and wonders you will not believe 
the paragraph reads better if you took out verse 48. He came to Cana in Galilee in verse 47, and a man comes and says, I want you to heal my son. And then verse 49, the official says to him, come before my son dies. The paragraph runs well without verse 48. There is a man who has a son. He's about to die. And then he says, come heal my son. And then, you know, before my son dies. And then, but in between we have verse 48, where Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, I kept coming back to verse 44 and verse 48 saying I do not quite get it. Why the statement about the prophet without honour in his hometown when he goes to Galilee where he's from and is welcomed? And then, then, why verse 48? Why does Jesus seemingly out of nowhere when a man is coming with a sick child say you will not believe unless you see signs and then goes and heals the boy anyway? So how do we make some sense of these two verses? And once we do... You understand the passage more clearly and you may understand the passage in a different way. And see, it is so much more relevant than you may have imagined. Let us go firstly to verse 44. How do we make sense of this? The parenthesis for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honour in his own hometown. The word for hometown in Greek is patris, meaning paterland or fatherland. A prophet is without honour in his own land, his own stomping grounds. Here are a few different explanations. I don't, um, I don't think they're correct, but I'll give you a few different explanations. A few commentators say this, so probably good to, to mention them. Some people say that his hometown is actually a reference to Jerusalem and Judea. That Jesus was in Jerusalem for the feast and there were some miracles and then he left to go to Galilee. He went through Samaria. So maybe it is without honour in his hometown, Jerusalem and Judea. He isn't there anymore where people maybe were going to make threats on his life. After all, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, just a few miles from Jerusalem. So perhaps it is saying he left there to go to Galilee and his hometown is Jerusalem and Judea. Well, that does not work because the immediate context is not him coming from Jerusalem or Judea, but Samaria. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but that's not mentioned in John's Gospel. And it is not clear that Jesus had an overall better reception in Galilee than in Judea. And if this were the case, that would make it sound like Jesus is looking for the place where he can get honour, which is not in keeping with Jesus's ministry. Another explanation some people say is that he left heaven. Now that is certainly true from the prologue that he was in the beginning with God and is God. Heaven was not where he was dishonoured and this whole section is full of concrete physicality. There's geography, there are the mountains that we've looked at, there are the names of cities and places and regions. We're not dealing with a spiritual kind of allegory. Other people said another view is he must have gone to Nazareth, his hometown, and then left Nazareth to go to Capernaum. Jesus is often recognised as being from Nazareth. And in Luke 4, at the beginning of his ministry, as recorded by Dr. Luke, the people in Nazareth say, why do you not do here what you did in Capernaum? And then Luke 4, verse 24 
He said, truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So it is true in the other gospel accounts, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth and he leaves there because he isn't honoured there. That's true from the other, from the synoptic gospels. And he does not do many miracles there because he may have crowds elsewhere, but in his own hometown, there is no special honour. But if you go back to John 4, you'll have to provide a lot of in between the lines what is not written to suggest that verse 44 is saying that after he went to Samaria, he went to Nazareth and then he was not honoured there because the prophet is without honour in his hometown. And now Jesus is going elsewhere in Galilee. That would make perfect sense. Is there, there is no verse or verses that say that happened. So the most natural reading is to think that Jesus is coming back to his native land of Galilee. He was in Samaria. He is not a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. So now Jesus is coming back to his own people, to Jewish soil, to his home, if not Nazareth in particular, the region where Nazareth is, Galilee. He is often known as being a Galilean. If you just go to John 7 verse 41, it says, others said this is the Christ, but some said this is the Christ to come from Galilee. And then in verse 52 of chapter 7, they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see. No prophet arises from Galilee. So just as much as Jesus was known as being from Nazareth, he was known as being Jesus from Galilee. So it makes sense that his hometown is Galilee, you know, the, the region of Galilee. So Jesus is leaving Samaria, where he received a surprisingly and wonderfully warm reception. Do you remember that we just looked at it recently? The woman went into the town and said, I'd met a man who told me everything I'd ever done. And then they come and they believe and they say, stay with us two days. Now Jesus is going back to his own where the reception will not be the same. In other words, he's deliberately leaving a place of honour to venture to a place of less honour. You see the little word at the beginning of verse 44, 4. That indicates that we have a purpose, we have a reason. Why did Jesus depart for Galilee? Because, for, Jesus knew a prophet has no honour in his own hometown. Jesus deliberately left Samaria, where he was at present being honoured, that he might go to his people, the Jews, to Galilee, where he knows he will not receive the same honour. Now think about that. We don't not many of us operate that way. Not many of us pray, Lord, I want to know your will. I want to know your plan, the next steps for my life. Would you just tell me where is it going to be harder? Things seem to be going well here. I really would like to go where I would be less honoured. And sometimes the hardest place to go back to is the place where you are from. Sometimes there is a familiarity which breeds warmth, but sometimes there is a familiarity that breeds contempt. So it was with Jesus. He was the prophet without honour in his own hometown. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Just simply to say there are added challenges sometimes being around the people that you know. But I mean, just imagine, just imagine this is the Lord Jesus. We're not told a lot about his his childhood, but the people who saw him, who had held him when he was a child. And now he's back saying, I always existed. So Jesus is without honour 
as he gets closer to his own people. Well, that's what verse 44 is saying. For, for the reason, Jesus leaving Samaria, going to Galilee. Now, how does that fit with verse 45 when verse 45 seems to say the opposite? That it seems to say that they welcomed him. He came to Galilee and they welcomed him. But there is a certain amount of irony in this word that, yes, they welcomed him. Yes, they seemed to be eager to see him. But as we will see, their welcome was not the sort of welcome that Jesus was impressed by. Having seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. At the end of verse 45. So go back to John 2. Jesus is at the feast. The pilgrims would have gone three times a year, gone to Jerusalem to the temple and the Galileans were there they saw Jesus there and he did signs there but remember what happened John 2 just 23 and 24 now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people they trusted Jesus and he did not entrust himself to them Jesus knew what they were about. They liked the show. They liked the signs. They liked the miracles. And that is why John tells us in chapter 4 that the Galileans had been there at the feast. So when Jesus comes home, if you like, they welcome him. Here comes the wonder worker. Here comes the entertainer. They welcomed him just as those in Judea put their faith in him. But it was not faith that would save. And it wasn't the welcome that Jesus was really looking for which then makes sense of the other problematic verse in this passage. That's verse 44. Now look at verse 48. So if that is how we ought to understand verse 44, that Jesus is leaving Samaria where he was honoured. He went to Galilee, his hometown, where he will not be honoured. And the welcome that he received is a dubious, ambiguous welcome because they just like the signs and they're looking for it, just like the Jews in Jerusalem were. Now things fall into place to understand verse 48. The, ma- the, men heard, the man heard Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. This man. He went to him. He asked him to come down, heal his son, for he was at the point of death. When Jesus gets word that there is a man from Capernaum who's come to Cana and he has a sick child and he wants him to be healed, Jesus breaks off right there and says, unless you... And the Greek is plural. It's you's or you all or it's a plural you. He isn't just speaking to the man who wants his son healed. The man is the occasion to give a rebuke to the Galileans who are gathering around, thronging around the ones who welcome Jesus back to Galilee. He says, I know why you, you all are here. You want to see miracles. He uses this occasion, this opportunity to expose what his apparent popularity is really about. It always amazes me how much Jesus is indifferent to opposed to popularity. Now, he does seek worshippers. He wants faith-filled disciples. But crowds? Fans? No. What do you think about church? Of course we want more people. But maybe it would be better to say, are you sure you really want to be here? This man presses on and he says undeterred sir come down before my child dies 
Jesus is in Cana of Galilee. This man is from Capernaum, a day's walk away. And he says, come down because Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is below sea level. So if you were literally going to come down, you're walking down. Come down. Come 10, 12, 15 miles to be with me at my home because my son is about to die. Jesus doesn't immediately respond to the father's request. The man is undeterred and insists that he comes before it is too late. And we can sympathise. I remember a couple of years ago, Alfie Evans, the 23-month-old toddler with that degenerative brain condition who died in hospital after the hospital removed life support and the courts didn't allow his own parents to take him to Italy, who were willing to treat him. Get the humanity of the story. The man who is desperate. The son who is about to die. And Jesus just says, go, your son will live. The man believed him. He went on his way. And on the way he met his servant. And he says, your son is better. And the man is saying, when did this happen? And he said, it happened at one o'clock. And the man realises that that was when Jesus told him to go, he'll be better. And he believes and his household. So what is this story about? We have Galileans who are looking for signs. We have a man who wants his son to be healed, and he is. And the man believes, and it seems his faith is genuine. He has come along, he's recognised what Christ has done, maybe, and who Christ is, some of who Christ is. But what is the story really about? Well, when we understand verse 44 and verse 48, we see that this is a story about how great, this, this is not a story about how great the Galileans are. It's a story about how one man's request was granted not because of, but despite the fact that his countrymen and probably himself more, were more interested in the signs than in Jesus. Those who should have been closest to Jesus, closest by upbringing, closest by ethnicity, closest by geography, do not know who he is. And we see that going on in chapter five and six and more. The Galileans wanted signs. They wanted miracles. Yes, we can feel for this father. We can empathise with his urgency. But that is the point. You don't have to be regenerate to want a miracle worker to heal your dying son. To want Jesus to make your life better doesn't take a work of the Holy Spirit. To cry, God, I wish you'd give me a job is a good thing to pray. God, I wish that you would heal me is a good thing to pray. God, I wish that I could have a family is a good thing to pray. Non-Christians want those things as well. People want a job. People want to be happy. People want loved ones to be healthy. You don't have to be born again to want Jesus to fix your life. But you do need to be born again if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Jesus is so unsentimental and so surprising. We are so used to Jesus that it doesn't shock us anymore. This should shock us. He was a scandal when he moved around in Galilee. Here is a man. Jesus, my son is about to die. Would you come? And what does Jesus first do? You will do not believe unless you see signs. You would think that Jesus would be tender, sympathetic, but he uses the occasion to rebuke the people. He says, I know your hearts. I know what you want. And unless you've seen signs, unless you've seen miracles, you're not interested in the things of God. His own people, with their so-called welcome, suffered from a number of defects. They had, as many of us do, this massive sense of entitlement. 
We know that you can get it done, so here we are. Do it. We have a tremendous amount of sense of entitlement. I often have to think about what they say, first world problems. I go to the shops, got used to it now. After nine months, of kind of, you know, sort of, you know, you get used to working around. It becomes habitual. You get something, you know, you go to the checkout and all the little self scans are full. You know, the, you know, I usually try and use those scan it yourself kind of thing. And then you see there are only two tills open and they both have people in them. Terrible. And the person in front of you looks like he's shocked for eternity. And you have to wait. We have such a sense of entitlement that we get knocked at that. We should remember that we just walked into a whole acre of food that we didn't plant, water or harvest. We can get whatever we want. What do we have to do? We just click a little app that says scan and shop and then at the end just wave your phone in front of a machine. You don't have to talk to anybody. We don't realise what we have. We have this massive, huge sense of entitlement. Another thing I've noticed is if you take the phone and suddenly you see the little thing spinning and you have to wait like four seconds and it is this coverage is terrible. You know, this is terrible. This is horrible. Well, it's Keswick after all. But we're like that with God too. We're like that with church. We're consumers. Jesus, what have you done for me lately? Take care of some things. Do some miracles. Do some zapping. They had a sense of entitlement. They were overly familiar with Jesus, just like us. We can be overly familiar with Jesus. They wanted a fix-it guy. That is what they wanted. They wanted someone to come to fix their problems. If Jesus is going to fix my life, then I'm going to want Jesus to make my life a bit better, a bit happier. Just kind of get along, get my children out of happy, out of trouble. That's what we want. They wanted power more than the person. They wanted the gift more than the giver. They wanted the sign more than they wanted a saviour. They were not saying, welcome Jesus, we are sinners and we need a saviour. And when you see the story in its wider context, it is even more striking. The story is bookended with two miracles. John 2, 11, water into wine. John 2, 11, this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The first sign in Cana in Galilee, his disciples believed in Jesus. You go back to the end of John 4 and deliberately this is the other bookend to the whole episode after over chapter 2, 3 and 4. Verse 46, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. The man wanted him to go to Capernaum but he's in Cana in Galilee and we read in verse 54, this is the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judah, Judea to Galilee. And before that we read in verse 53, and he himself believed, that's the official, and all his household. It is not a coincidence. There are seven signs in the first half of John's Gospel. Every commentary recognises these seven signs, and only the first two are explicitly mentioned as the first sign, second sign, and it is these two. And both of them end in belief. Chapter 2, verse 11, his disciples believed. Chapter 4, verse 53, this official believed in his household. John means us to mark out chapters 2, 3 and 4 as a discrete unit. One, you have the prologue in chapter 1, then you have John the Baptist, John the, Baptist the, cool, the calling of the first disciples, and then chapters 2, 3 and 4, which are bookended by two miracles in Cana of Galilee. 
How does that help you understand what is going on? Well, notice with the exception of the hand chosen disciples, they believed in chapter two, verse 11, they followed Jesus, set them aside. What we see is that the insiders are not getting it and the outsiders are. Think of what we have seen. Jesus goes to the temple. You do not get more inside than inside the temple. And what does he do? He turns over the tables. He drives out the money changers. They turned it into a den of robbers. And then he does some signs there and it says that the people believe in him. But we've seen that Jesus said, I do not believe in you. This isn't real faith. It's faith in the show. And then you have chapter three, Nicodemus, another insider, a Pharisee, a teacher of the people, well respected. He comes to Jesus by night asking questions, but he doesn't get it. Jesus says, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom. And then we have these Galileans. Jesus rebukes them. They may welcome him, but they're just like those in Judea. They're here for the signs. So think about chapters two, three and four. Who has gotten it? Well, this man from Galilee, this royal official, he was a kingly one, a courtier to the king. There wasn't any king official. Officially, Herod Antipas was reputed as a king. The same Herod that would kill John the Baptist and get his head on a platter. This isn't a good king. But he certainly wasn't an insider in terms that this official is working for a king who's going to kill John the Baptist. So he too is an outsider, maybe possibly even a Gentile. And then what do we see right before this episode? What is the biggest example of faith in this section two, three, four? The dreadful, dreaded Samaritans, the woman at the well with all of her husbands and the boyfriends and the baggage. And then she goes into the town and these people, they believe and they show up. And if you remember what they say, verse 42, this will make sense of what this passage is about, because the last words they say is, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Brothers and sisters, he's not just a sign maker. He's not just a wonder worker. He is the saviour of the world. So do you see what is happening? Do you see what John is doing? He's putting it all together in chapter two, three and four. You start with a miracle in Cana and Galilee. You end with a miracle in Cana and Galilee. And what do you see in the middle? The people that are closest to it do not see it. The people who you think would never see it are getting it. It is a book written so that a largely Jewish audience might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing they may have life in his name. And this is John's way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to warn his Jewish readers Do not forfeit your inheritance. Are you so close that you cannot see it? And that is the word for you and for me. Because if we are to look at at insiders and outsiders, a whole lot of us would be insiders. I grew up in the church. I always was at church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, every night during the week. And we're as inside as they get. Don't miss it. You can be in Jesus' hometown and not be his disciple. You can be in and out of church your whole life and go to Bible studies and retreats and your parents prayed with you before bed and miss it. That's what the Holy Spirit is teaching us in this passage. This is the rebuke that you may need to hear. We want Jesus. Come on, Jesus, do something. Show up. Heal me. Make things better for my life. Do something, Jesus. And then you have the Samaritans. 
broken hearted enough to believe. At a distance, just enough of just an in, enough of a distance to be, be marvel. When was the last time you ever marvelled at Jesus? Has he become ordinary to you? Has he become plain? Are you missing it? Are you so close to Christianity that you're not interested in Jesus? Many of us would have been Jesus's hometown people. And sometimes the hardest place for him to receive honour is his hometown. Brothers and sisters, do you want the signs? Or do you really, really, really want a saviour?